What's up, Unusuals? Jim Martin here from the Unusual Buddha podcast and theunusualbuddha.com. Here to talk to you for a second about Anchor. Uh, it's the service I use to make this very podcast. Uh, first and foremost, it's free. Secondly, they give you tools you can actually record and edit your podcast either from your phone or from a computer. Uh, Anchor also helps with distribution of your podcast. Uh, they can get you on Apple and Spotify, all those. Uh, you can start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need all in one place. So check them out. It's anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to see what you create. What's up, Unusual? It's Jim here from theunusualbuddha.com. This is another episode of the Unusual Buddha podcast. We are joined as usual, uh, or as unusual, by Nellie D. Uh, she's uh, my second favorite Canadian, no offense. Uh, Uh, but Ryan Reynolds has to beat a little bit. I'm sorry. He's he's just he's he's beautiful man. Anyway, uh, and his gin's <laughs> really good too. So. Oh, I want to try it. I know. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the brilliance of the man in general. Uh, anyway, I could get lost in his eyes for days. Uh, <laughs> so today we are joined by Greg Eisenberg. He's a very interesting character, and he's going to tell us a bit about himself. And then we are just going to dive right into the, into it. So, Greg, tell us about yourself. Who is Greg Eisenberg? Great question, Jim. The hardest question of all. And thank you, Nellie and Jim, for having me. And, you know, I think the question of who I am is probably the, the thing I've struggled with the most my whole life. So it, uh, and I am discovering it more and more all the time. I'm not trying to be flip with this answer. I think that, like I say, yeah. my book, which we're going to talk about, my identity crisis is clearly what my life is all about. Um, <laughs> I um, am an author. Um, I have written a book of mind-altering jokes, 16 chapters called Letting Go is All We Have to Hold On To, which I think is the first product of mine that caught your attention. I have to give you this credit, though. It very, it's very reminiscent of like a George Carlin, uh, the rants he would do. Um, except uh, cleaner language. So that's, that's, it's got that going for it, which Carlin, Carlin did not, but I, I very much like the, the contradicting nature of the statements and the jokes. I loved it. Interesting. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Um, I also have written poetry in my life. I was a childhood poet. I have a box of my childhood poetry uh, in my garage. And I do also think that there's a certain poem I wrote at age 13, which is probably still remains the best piece of literature I've written. It set the bar for me pretty high. Maybe we'll talk about that in the show. But in my 30s, I published a book of poetry in bilingual in Spanish and English called Love Without Madness, Amor Sin La Cura. Yes, please. And I'm a songwriter. I wrote songs from age 16 to age 36. I wrote 108 songs. I have an entire book of that. I've, I've produced 50 of them probably or more. And they're all very alive for me. I, I still sing them as if I wrote them yesterday. Wow. So. Um, That's amazing. So have you always been um, creative? I mean, you said you started, uh, you started writing poetry very early on. Is that something you knew that like this just was for you? I think so. I, I didn't realize it as a child, but my parents were very encouraging of me to be a writer. I mean, I think I grew up on Dr. Seuss and what a master of, uh, you know, of pentameter and of storytelling yeah. and of wordplay. 
So um, uh, what a great mentor, you know, and role model. And I think I was just imitating um, Dr. Seuss as a child, but I wrote a lot. Uh, every night, my parents would bring me pads of paper to write on. My dad would bring me pads of paper from work. And then sometimes my mom would take them and type them in her work. Oh, wow. No, they were super supportive. supportive. That is so cool. They were very supportive. It was, I guess, to them was like, wow, I was their little writer. And I was writing these pretty deep poems, I guess, at a young age. And I still remember all of that. And I don't know if we're going to talk about that period of my life very much today. But um, I taught myself how to write by the time I was maybe 10 or 12 or 13, you know, I'm, I'd begun to teach myself some of the core principles of writing, which I will say right now, one of which is writing is listening. Yes. Writing is learning how to listen to yourself and how to tap into your own unconscious mind and how to tap into the vast network of associations that, um, you know, live in our minds and to feel also and to write from your body. Also, it's yes. I just will just skim through that and say I, I was a childhood poet. And um, so I was encouraged to be a writer. And the answer is yes. I would have to say I was probably always on the creative side. That is awesome. always reaching inside and trying to figure out what is that? What is the pull in there? Something is asking for my attention. What is it? So do you find that uh, your, your creative work, did that lead to the more spiritual and philosophical um, subjects you tackle? Or did that, uh, was which, which came first, the chicken or the egg here? Well, you know, also I was raised Jewish. And so when you're getting somewhat of a Jewish, and it was very kind of suburban, you know, not, not very intense uh, education, but still an education, you're, you're being exposed to a whole philosophy and a cosmology and a language. And um, so it's all, you're being confronted with spiritual material at a young age. So I, I think that I became pretty curious about philosophy either from that or, um, you know, uh, just naturally. Would it be okay to interject with, um, what I found um, in a YouTube video of you doing an interview, I would love for you to expand on the fortune cookie story. Um, well, I, I have to say it when I was listening to it, I'm like, that is, oh, it just enamored me. There, yeah, I, if you don't mind, I would love. Sure. I mean, in, in, in the spirit of giving a quick biography of me, we can say, okay, I just did childhood. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <you> Sorry. <know. laughs> I think that um, it, I, um, when I was in high school, I hung out with some pretty special friends that were a bit older than me and who themselves were th- thinking outside the box and listening to the Grateful Dead and mind expanding. And um, nothing I, wrong with that. <laughs> I think I learned, and they also encouraged me to be a writer and an explorer. And so I think that I um, got the chutzpah to go travel as a 17 year old right after. I didn't even go to my senior prom or for my graduation. I was hasta la vista. I was just remembering recently, and I forgot this for so many years, that when I was a senior in high school, 
um, the dean of my high school wrote me a pass every day to be late and just walk into home uh, first period. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, oh yeah, that happened every day. I would just, and, and everybody would be standing in line to get their detention. And he would just say, oh, hi, Greg. And he would write me. Yeah. The yeah, Flashing yours around like, all right, guys, I'm out. Like, have a good one. <laughs> oh, man. No, I would. I didn't. I was. <laughs> I just like, I was like, thank you. Man. I just walked out of there and didn't try to be as small as possible. I didn't want to piss those yeah. guys off. Absolutely. I didn't want to ruin my thing yeah. either. Yeah. I never remember talking to him about it or ever really even having much of a relationship with him. But my sense is, and this is honest, and I was also. In high school, I was eligible to be part of the National Honor Society okay. as a junior oh, because wow. I, had, I think almost a perfect grade point average because I studied Russian and there was AP Russian. Yeah, I mean, I was a I was kind of one of the smarties in high school. Right, you took a you're you're one of the best at one of the classes that nobody takes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yes, and but I was I was a, a teacher. What is it? Voted me out or whatever. Took me off. Oh wow. Just, me my my junior language arts teacher because so so i had there were two firsts and that's just main township high school east and suburban chicago but i was the probably one of the first in a hundred years to be eligible as a junior for the national honor society and the only one to ever be eligible for it that was voted out too so i don't know so what'd you do did you did you you fight the guy in the parking lot or (laughs) I don't know. I, I there was a perception was. maybe I was experimenting with alternative ways of thinking and living. Oh no! Oh no! Bird had gotten around uh, <laughs> more interested in guitar now than the wrestling team. Ah, oh, okay, okay. okay. Your your they crew cut was not crew cutty enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but that was. I mean, in a way, it's a sad story, right? But in a way, yeah. I took it as a good sign, like Krishnamurti says, it's not a sign of good health to be well adjusted to a sick society. Yeah. But anyway, it was a little bit of a Bob, yeah. you know, teenage kind of, but I did get the courage to um, go travel. Uh, I worked in high school. I saved my own money and I went on a trip with my brother to Europe and we railed around and that was really fun. We went to Amsterdam and, you know, I had, things I that laugh. you do in Amsterdam. <laughs> I didn't laugh. Oh, of course. The truth about Amsterdam is that when we went there, um, we I I didn't make it 24 hours, and I I I, I, I it was too much, too fast for me. Right. I remember. Right. I said, "Let's let's go yeah. to the islands." Let's I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. So we went to Texel, this island in, in north of Holland for a few days of bike riding, which was very nice. Um, and then we're like, okay, I'm ready. Let's try that again. <laughs> Let's take two on Amsterdam. It's kind of a funny story. But in that trip, he and I lost each other in Italy. And um, he went back to the US and I kept traveling south through Italy into Greece. And the more and more I was traveling south, the more I was realizing Europe felt too much like the United States in a way. It was. I was ready for something. I was listening to the doors and Jim Morrison and, you know, I was just really ready to get out of what seemed to me like sort of a shallow and superficial adult society, the way I perceived it. And uh, to the extent that I was exposed to it through my windows, although my parents are down to earth, they were intellectual people. They aren't the greatest examples of this, but by and large, I thought society's fake. We're all fake. We got to be real. 
And so I eventually went into Turkey and I spent a couple of months in Turkey and traveled. Then I actually went through Syria and Jordan oh, wow. into Israel through the West Bank, through Palestine, yeah. Israel. And so I think you're asking about a story that happened in that particular chapter of my life. And I had been yeah. for a year. I was still, I think, just barely 18 years old. And my travel companion and I, whom I met um, my, um, in Istanbul, we had traveled together for eight months, I think, or for six or seven months. We parted ways. She went down. I think she went down to the pyramids. She went down to Cairo. And I headed north to Jerusalem. And I think I was just hanging out in Jerusalem for a while. And then these guys met me, these really Orthodox guys met me and said, would you like to, um, do you even know which, uh, at the Western Wall, I was hanging out at the Western Wall. And they okay. said, do you even know like what you're doing here? It was a little, little aggressive, like, you want to learn something about your Jewish roots? Don't uh, we have lunch? Ah, lunch. And they said, you know, and then it turned out that they have a school and there are all these left Canadians. I remember these guys were really a lot of Canadians, a lot of 20 and 21 and 22 year old young men from the U S and Canada and England. Okay. And they're all studying um, at, at a yeshiva kind of a school for of Jewish studies in the old city. And so I took in with those. I said yes to lunch. And I thought, wow, I could live in the old city of Jerusalem and study with these people and um, be here for a while, really get a real taste of something and explore my own roots and jog around the old city and, you know, explore. And so I ended up staying there for a few months and um, being exposed to orthodox thought and being yeah. challenged. And, you know, the whole Jew thing is very confrontational. It's very, um, uh, it's very didactic. Um, and we were, we had our beliefs challenged. And I believe the rabbis that are trying to bring People like me. I was reading the electric Kool-Aid acid test at the time, honestly. You know, <laughs> oh, wow. oh, sorry. like, wow. Really? I, Were you? I was, you know, <laughs> that was one of the books I traveled with at that time. <laughs> That's brilliant. Is there oh, ways of thinking. I appreciated being, I appreciated the camaraderie of those guys. They were sweet guys and they're all trying to be like, don't we want lives of meaning? You know, yeah. you sort of, right? Like, yeah, we do. You know, they're bright people, bright, well-intended people. And um, I learned a lot too. And I took this course and then somewhere around November, there was a little, um, th there was a war going on um, with the PLO in Jordan, I believe. And Rumor had it that they had injured Yasser Arafat, who was the head of the PLO at that time and kind of the number oh. one arch enemy of, you know, sworn to destroy the state of Israel and, like, you know, not a nice guy from their yeah. eyes. Through their eyes, it was hard for them to see him as some great guy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, which is um, foreshadowing some of the story. So they heard that he was injured and they were all like, did you hear the news? And there, there was a little bit of a celebratory vibration going on. Um, and 
I thought, wow, we're celebrating? Like, yeah, it's I, a little I, out of place, huh? Like, <laughs> it, on the one hand, I understood, right? You know, yeah. when I wrestled, when I was up on the wrestling team and my teammate was winning, I'd be like, yeah, go, you know, get him. Yeah. yeah, we all be going, yeah, going crazy. Our team, our team. I think that I was trying to um, break out of, you know, an us and them reality and more like we're all, it's, we're all one and, and a little bit of a, you know, and imagine there's no countries kind of yeah, yeah. thing, <laughs> but I don't know. But I also recognize that I had been in the region for all of three months and who am I to have a strong opinion about such a thing, really, to be honest. And that's actually how I think now is like, it's, yeah. but I said, no, I, I said, no, I'm not, I, I don't feel like we should be celebrating that one of God's creatures was destroyed. And I would, and I started debating with them. I just, I didn't say anything for a few hours and um, they said, oh no, 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 it's okay. You're allowed to celebrate. I mean, those guys are trying to kill Jewish people. Like, you know, where that's not good. I go, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I just, I don't think it's the right attitude to just be celebrating something like that. And they said, and they got, got out the Talmud and they started turning the pages, you know, and go, look at right here. Look where it says, like when the, when the Jews were fleeing Pharaoh's armies in Egypt and they got to the Red Sea and the Red Sea opened up and they got across and then the armies were coming after them and then the Red Sea closed down on them. The Jewish people yeah. were singing on the other side. Miriam, Moses' sister, so the story goes, was singing her songs, uh, and with the, the and they were celebrating. And it is said in the Talmud that also some of the, like the archangels or some real high spirits also celebrated. And according to the Talmud, the uh, um, the interpretation of the Bible, the, the book yeah. that interprets the Bible for you in. Um, said, God chastised those angels. They said, um, uh, people are allowed to celebrate if their enemies are vanquished, but you guys are, come on, you're like my archangels. You can't be celebrating when one of my, that's what I remember. You know, this is my telling yeah. of something. And so we really, yeah. you know, I disagreed with them and we were kind of on the outs anyway, because I was caught a couple times bringing girls back to the dorm. Ah, there you go. There you go. Uh, the last one was from Norway, I think, or she was Nordic, and it wasn't really kosher for me to be saying that. <laughs> Man, this is not cool. Norwegian wood. Sorry. <laughs> yes, there was some Norwegian wood, and that's not, you know, that's, it just really seemed like this was the time for me, and I said, I'm going to make my break from this place, and it was a cultish. It was cultish, and I remember that one, there was a Toronto, a guy from Toronto, I can say it correctly. Toronto. Toronto. I don't even know how to say Toronto. it because I'm not from Ontario. <laughs> like I live here, but I don't have the accent. So <laughs> you don't say the first O. You just go Toronto. Toronto. Oh. But um, Toronto. The biggest, like, I don't know. You said you can't go. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. And so I stole away in the night. Can't remember if it was with my gal or not. But before I left, we went to a Chinese restaurant in the old. Uh, in the Arab quarter of the old city of Jerusalem, Chinese version in the Arab quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. And I do remember this because um, something happened that night. I got a fortune cookie at the end of the meal and I 
opened it up and I was stunned at what it said. And I'd never heard it was by somebody named Lao Tzu. I didn't even know how to pronounce it. Lao Tzu, who's the father of Taoism or, you know, the alleged father of Taoist philosophy who wrote the Tao Te Ching. It was a quote from him. And the quote just sp spoke so deeply to what we had been debating back at the yeshiva. And it said, conduct your victory like a funeral. Ah. Like, conduct your victory like a funeral. Wow. It, it really just floored me. It, it was like coming from a, just a place that I hadn't really, not even in the electric Kool-Aid acid test, I guess, because I don't remember anything about that book at this point. <laughs> Probably on purpose. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it really stuck with me. And I really thought, now that is the right way. That's the right attitude. That's the answer to the debate we were just having yesterday where the rabbi said, you better not leave. And I said, I am, I'm getting out of here. And taking um, the show on the road. <laughs> I'm taking the show on the road. And so that was, yeah, that was part of my childhood. That was, you know, about three months in Jerusalem. And uh, as a segue, I'll say then I um, came back to the United States. I did, uh, went, uh, I got back into the kind of back on track, my father would say, and I went to university. And um, he thought I got off track when I quit wrestling. Like that's when it really sort of happened. And, um, um, uh, and bless his heart, you know, he just died earlier this year, as I think you know. And so I want to talk about that at some point. But I continued to go off track probably in his point of view when I studied Taoism at Indiana University, where I, I came back. I went there because my brother was going getting his, his master's there, his MBA. And yeah. I ended up- So you were the black sheep. What's that? You were per the proverbial black sheep. Yes. And some, let's come back to that. Let's come back okay. to that. Okay. That's a, that gets deep. Now you just. Oh, does it? Deep. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, I, I would say that uh, I drifted out to California and ended up getting a, a degree from the University of California in East Asian and Pacific Rim studies. And I studied Chinese, I studied Mandarin, I studied. My senior thesis was about a Taoist poet from the second century AD named Ram Ji, fascinating character. He was a, not a classical Taoist, but he was sort of a neo-Taoist during the time where there's historical data about him and his family. His work is well-preserved. And he was a very confused, conflicted person. And that's what I like about him is so much of Chinese poetry is, um, well, I can't say I can't make a statement about so much of Chinese. A lot of the Chinese poetry that I've read, a lot of it from the Buddhist era um, is very prescriptive. Like if you just, if you would just go to up on cold mountain and meditate and leave the 10,000 things behind, you will find that your mind is as pure as snow. And that's not the, I like people who are conflicted and can't figure it out and are beguiled by the different ways life is pulling them towards different. Yeah. It's very humanizing. That sounds very, very uh, much, much less uh, into sainthood and more into humanism. You know, this is, this yeah. is the human conflict here. Yes. So I've been yeah. talking a lot. So now we've got, we've got as far as getting into, you know, finishing my degree in California. And I fell in love with California and I was part of, you know, um, some fairly radical environmental organizations out there. And I learned yeah. a new religion really out in California. The one that I was probably always <laughs> probably a little more destined for than Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you for listening to all that. Oh, this is lovely. 
Like I, I have to admit, I well because I'm originally from the West Coast at, BC, at British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I understand um, the root as far as spirituality, connection to nature, and um, and just uh, yeah, environmentalism as a whole. Like uh, West Coasters are very passionate. West, yeah, I can say that here. West Coasters are very passionate about environmentalism and, and uh, yeah. Oh, that's so lovely. Sorry. <laughs> what? I didn't hear that word. Uh, environmentalism. Sorry, yeah. I may not have said it properly. Well, um, <laughs> environmentalism, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very passionate about the environment and, and taking care of the earth and being the stewards. You know. Yeah, it's well. California is so beautiful. The redwoods are so breathtaking. The landscape inspired me. It was perfect for me to bring the mishmash of my neurons over to that ecosystem because I really felt like um, that was really some landscape that could tell you what to think if you listen to it. If you really learned how to listen to it and look at oh. it, be in it. So yeah, British Columbia is beautiful. I've been up there as well. The whole West Coast. And so, and then I started writing songs, which uh, uh, on that trip, I wrote my first song in the Negev desert about a month after the the story I just told you about the Chinese restaurant and the fortune cookie. So at some point I can tell you what that song is. It's records. I have a nice recording of it. Um, Yeah. I'll definitely add that to, uh, to the, the, the notes. Do you have anything like you want to, or I'll add that. Um, actually, I put it like right in after this part of the conversation. We're gonna be so classy. We're gonna have like a smooth transition, and it's gonna be great. But uh, tell us about the song. Like, what is what was the? So you said the inspiration was which desert? It was in the Negev Desert, which is in the south part of Israel. To, um, and um, I sat on a hill, and I had traveled quite a few countries by then, and I had <laughs> some beat up guitar. And I remember, you know, it's. Um, it's one of my favorite songs too. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful way to kick off my songwriting, uh, you know, portion of my life. And um, the first verse just goes: If ever you have sat upon a mountain and cast your vision calmly to the west, you would see a thriving race of people who live as if from heaven they were blessed. And then in the east, if you cast your vision, something sad will strike your eye. You will see a hungry child from heaven come. If ever you had sat upon a mountain and cast your vision calmly to the west, you would see a thriving race of people who live as if from heaven they were blessed. And then in the east, if you cast your vision, something sad will strike your eye. You would see a hungry child whom heaven somehow skipped by. Whom heaven somehow skipped by Well did you ever wake up in the morning and lie there half asleep in bed 
life was kept within your head And have you ever wondered if the thoughts that you were thinking Were products of your own device Have you ever slipped into your shoes and pondered If some thoughts were worth the price If some thoughts were worth the price Well don't let time disturb you Cause sometimes she's your only friend May there be peace within you and may it be the energy you sent Hasn't someone come some morning And broke the news to you, my friend There's no certain way we should all be living Most thoughts are hard to defend are hard to defend Well don't let time disturb you Cause sometimes she's your only friend May there be peace within you no certain way we should all be living Most thoughts are hard to defend Most thoughts are hard to defend Most thoughts are hard to defend And then just the way the melody, the way it falls, and you go heaven skip on uh, it. It yeah. kind of heavy. Yeah, it got me just now. Actually, just saying it. Yeah, and you've seen a lot. You've I saw lot. somebody. I saw a man dying in a in a bazaar in, in Damascus, like with flies around him, and kids kind of running around. It was like, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we had lived through some weird. I got some serious stories for you, baby. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, yeah. I, I tried to pretend that was an, it was ridiculous, but you know, I'm like reading yeah. you know, Ken Kesey and wearing an uh, Arab headdress and obviously addicted to cigarettes and weed. Um, <laughs> that's no that's judging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it was a weird combo, but um, the next verse is really kind of a, 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 a apropos to our conversation today about my book, like 20 years later, I would write a book of jokes. Like I said, letting go is all we have to hold on to. 
it's a whole body of original humor. And they're all sort of like Zen koans, one line, yeah. oxymoronic statements that, um, um, but the second, and, and, and I think that I show that I'm interested in the mind and I'm interested in what are the, what are, what is the nature of thought and what, why are we thinking what we are thinking at an early age? And um, it shows in the second verse of the song, which is, um, did you ever wake up in the morning and lie there half asleep in bed? Did you know that you were only dreaming and most of life was kept within your head? Have you ever wondered if the thoughts that you were thinking were products of your own device? Have you ever slipped into your shoes and pondered if some thoughts were worth the price? And wow, I thought, gosh, how can you be 18 years old or something and write something like that? I could not write, I could not write a line of poetry like that to save the human race. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. You have a, well, sorry, at that time when you wrote that, it sounds to me like you had a lot of conflict oh. and a lot of, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, whoa. Like, it, it's, it's really heavy. <laughs> Yeah, like, is it okay to say, but this is good, like, because you were, you had a, um, you had an outlet to be able to get it out. Yes. I, you know, I'm realizing talking to you right now that that first verse, yeah, it's about conflict. You look to the West and you see blessed. You look to the East and you see left behind. What are you supposed yeah. to say? There I am on a little hill with ants probably crawling around you know going i don't know what i'm supposed to be feeling about life if you look this way you see this and if you look that way you see that um how do you how does does that ever reconcile do you ever feel mm. all and then the second verse goes into that in a way like i have you like was it worth real what some thoughts are worth the price have you ever wondered if the thoughts that you were thinking were products of your own device? So years later, I would write this book, Letting Go is All We Have to Hold On To. And one of the jokes in there is, um, you know, um, am I thinking my thoughts more than they are thinking me? It doesn't matter. It's my wife who calls the shots. <laughs> so, Speaking as a wife? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's not funny. I'm going to have to call my wife and tell, ask her. Can I, can I laugh at that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> laugh at that <laughs> Sorry. Okay, now I can't stop laughing. Sorry. Anyway, go on. Yeah. So, um, well, it's just, I'm glad that we paused for a minute on that little hill in the Negev Desert for a second because that yeah. memory is so memorialized in the song. Um, and then I think that my, my you know, in, in a way I call my humor Buddhist humor um, yeah. because it, a lot of it is about the nature of thoughts. And my book is, you know, it's really a collection of funny thoughts that somebody could have that all of us are like this far away from having that are actually hysterical and say a lot about the well, future. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say that like, that's the one thing I noticed yeah. uh, listening to the videos, the, the YouTube shows and stuff where you went into the jokes. Uh, a lot of this stuff. It seems uh, very similar to how we're doing, though we do it a little bit more, uh, I guess, irreverently. But uh, you use humor to try and uh, break the ice almost and to get people into these uh, deeper patterns of thought to, you know, at first people would could easily gloss over the joke and go, oh, it's, you know, it's silly. And then you think about it, you're like, wait a minute, that is, why is it like that? Why, why you know, like it's, it's interesting. I like that, that, that approach and, and 
I applaud you for it because it seems like uh, yeah. you, I, I don't know that I've had that many thoughts uh, of that kind. You know what I mean? Of that that level of of humor. Thanks. Can I quote one of your reviewers? Oh yes. Yeah. For your book. Oh, better yeah. be a good one. Uh, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> well, I thought it was cool. <laughs> it was the Orberus. One reviewer. One. Uh, Sorry, I can't get my words. It's a bad reading day. Forgive me, I'm trying. Okay, here we go. Um, Orberus. One reviewer writes, writes that my jokes are the snake. Not only eating its own tail, but choking on it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I love it. I love it because it, it, yeah, it just encompasses the entire... Oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, the Ouroboros is a snake eating its own. Ouroboros. Sorry, thank you. No, can I read okay. that again? <laughs> sure, I can. I can. I can edit that can you out. Edit if you edit that want? out, yeah, sure. I'm like, I'm having a bad reading day, so That's okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No problem. <laughs> Ouroboros. One reviewer. One reviewer writes that my jokes are the snake. Not only eating its own tail, but choking on it. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, that's it is a good. Uh, it's a fun review, right? I think that what he's trying to say with that is that my one-liners, they're aphorisms. I'm an aphorist. I'm a professional yeah. aphorist. <laughs> Very um, much. So. I think that I. I, or an I would like to be, or I've got a lot of aphorismo. Aphorismo, uh-oh. <laughs> or laparism. <laughs> you the energy give off, yeah. I just have a lot of aphorismo, baby. Some people do and some people don't. You either got um, it or you don't, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's, I, call my, I call my lines laphorisms. And I call yeah. like epiphanies. Epif epiphanies. Oh. Um, and they are. the Eisenberg yeah. Principles. They're known as the, my name is Greg Eisenberg. These are the Eisenberg principles. Here, I'll read a couple of them. It took me 20 years of thinking to finally figure out that my mind moves way too quickly. <laughs> years Sorry. Considerable thinking. No, that's okay. The pause <laughs> is intended. The pause, the reason there's a pause is because you have to do your work to get the joke. Right. Oh, there we go. We <laughs> it a little bit, yeah. So and, there's a little bit of give and take here is what you're saying. <laughs> you know, like Freud says, what makes, and I don't know if he's right, but it's, I, I looked, I read a lot about what, what makes something funny and what are some philosophies of humor and um, what is the, you know, what are some principles in comedy? And in a way, I think, Actually, Freud stated it better than anybody. And essentially his thought was that it's, you're able to make the other person's mind do a lot with, with just a little, with giving them just a little. Like I'm just giving you these little pieces of information and then you run all the way into the end zone yourself with the ball in your hand and it's all you. And so the more you can infer without saying it, the funnier. And so it's about, it's about the clever way of having an economy of language. 
that makes sense. You just, just say yeah. nothing extra and only as little as you need to get the results. And so when, so when there's a pause, and I love it, when I do live shows, there's almost always this pause and then, well, hopefully a big laugh. So I just hope. <laughs> I, I love the way you like read that and then took a swig of your beer. Like it was, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Like pushing somebody in a boat off into a lake, like okay, have fun. yeah, good morning. You know? <laughs> we'll figure out what the oar is for in a minute. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this next, so I'm just there's three on a page. So I'm reading just from random page. It took me 20 years of thinking to finally figure out that my mind moves way too quickly. The next one is um, that meditation retreat was so bad. I wish I'd stayed home and done nothing instead. But wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. But it's good. And the last one, if ever, and this one is, if ever there was a moment when the concept of time was just an illusion, it's right now. Oh, damn. I mm-hmm. co-wrote that joke with an 11-year-old boy. I mean, I kind of know the history of a lot of these jokes. Some of them I can't remember because most of them are written in the hot tub with friends drinking beer. But, um, you know, it started out as just a bunch of jokes that we were, we were just joking around, palling around and joking around. That's, that's what makes life good. Yeah. Absolutely. Being together yeah. and, you know, palling around and joking around. And um, so... I would just say that um, some people say, well, did, you know, how long did it take you to write this book? Um, since I seem to segue over into that subject accidentally, I'll just say, I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know I was writing a book for a long time. I thought I was just joking around with my friends, but then I started writing them down. I thought, wow, I'm starting to come up with these kind of jokes. Like I'll even want to back up further and say that um I stopped writing songs when I was 36 years old. And so I've not written a song in 20 years. Oh, wow. Really? I've taken, I've written parodies. I've done clever shit, but I have not like really written a song on the scale of what I shared with you when I was from when I was 17 in the negative desert. Now that's a song. I can't, yeah, I can't write something like that. I Are you just, sure? I am sure. Well, I'm, I shouldn't say I, I, I doubt that it's coming. But I don't, you know, I don't try to write songs anymore. So there was then there was, a, and I, actually when I stopped writing songs, I I got pretty depressed actually because it wasn't just that I wasn't coming up with more product that I thought was fabulous. Okay. It was that it's like the world wasn't revealing itself to me with the colors and the depth perception, the contours and like with as much interesting topography and topology as it had. So it's like, things got flatter. I was like, yeah, like the world got gray. Like that's what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. It grayed that's, out. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's funny. Cause Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Toops in our last interview, he talked about the same thing. He said the same kind of thing is that, is that yeah. that's those kind of melancholy moments that I think we all meander yeah. through. And I think that's, that's what's important about humor is it, is it keeps you, sort of chugging along did you find that that was that able to to keep you going through your sense of humor uh through that kind of challenging part probably probably i still palled around and joked yeah. around with friends but um 
I didn't under, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't understand what was going on. It's like, they're not coming anymore. And I was a really wow. very, what's sort of like, you know, um, fertile. I had a very fertile period of writing, uh, and a very prodigious period of writing. So I didn't know what it was like to not feel a song coming. And I'm yeah. not you. You sure do now. Now you know what it's like. There isn't one coming. There just isn't. It's just not there. And I, I didn't really, I didn't understand what I was supposed to do with my life exactly because it was such a core part of my identity. A couple of years later, I did start writing the poetry that is now in this book, Love Without Madness, in my 30s. And um, I did start writing poetry again. And so it was satisfying. And I really went somewhere, I think, with my writing in those years as a poet. Like I, I got, I, I remember the pen moving fast on the paper. And now I can't write poems like this to probably save half the human race. I don't know which half I would say it, but I have an idea. Um, so Can I quote my favorite line? Oh, for my poems? Yeah. Is that okay? Absolutely. You got a dollar. That I actually feel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you don't have a choice. I'm going to say it anyway. We're just um, doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you can put a dollar in there. No, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but also, um, when I watched you do the reading of this poem on YouTube, when, when you say that you haven't, that I, I honestly feel that this, poem could be a song but that's just my personal opinion I'm not the creator mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was it was love without madness and the line was what is poetry but a window into the soul of madness that oh dude it's so yeah hit. that hit that hit home <laughs> Yeah, so I was when I heard that, like I rewound it, and I well, I rewound it. You can tell I grew up with tapes, but anyway. Um, did you I, have like your reel to reel? Did you? Did you do totally? That you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had my had my fancy uh, YouTube record player out, and I, was I just used my the phonograph. Did you have to crank my, it, and it has the big yeah, funnel? <laughs> used my pencil to rewind the tape. You know. <laughs> But yeah, I, I listened to that and it was that line struck me and I became a, my allergies made my eyes a little misty. Not going to lie. Somebody started cutting onions in your house. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yes, that's, you got to watch did. out for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, yeah, that song, in my opinion, could for that poem, in my opinion, it was beautiful. It was. It said something um, to the inner conflict that we're always trying to express within our words, you know, um, it express was beautiful. With yeah. Express with what? With the inner conflict that, there were, that we're always trying to express with our words. With our words. Our written words. Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. Yes. No matter how many words you know, they always seem to what come short of what you actually really mean, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That reminds me of a poem I wrote in high school. I know we're jumping all over the place, but I have to. No, it's That's great. That's fine. This is, this is the unusual Buddha podcast. This is, 
no, this no, is what you just with it here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah. you know, you never know. Two of the three of us might not even be wearing pants right now. Who knows? Because yeah. you know, <laughs> the, the top part. <laughs> Some of us may have like a very, 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 very button down, good looking top. And then like, you know, wearing like <laughs> underwear. Like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. don't there's, know. Like it could be anything. There's a reason why I'm wearing a tube. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God, I haven't thought of it in so long, but it's, um, oh, it's this. <clears throat> and I can remember it because I, I do it in, in one of my shows, actually, but I haven't done that show for two years. But it's, um, I'm a poet of dreams, but my mind, so it seems, is unrigid in structure and weak in the seams. Oh. I'm an author of tales. I'm sorry, I'm a singer of tales, but my voice, as it fails, stutters in rhythm and confuses its scales. Um, uh, I might have to start over again. No, that's okay. But, Are yeah, you talking about writer's block? Part, no, no, um, I'm an author. I'm, I'll see, I'm a poet of dreams. I'm, an author, I'm a singer of tales. I'm an author of prose. Okay, I've got it now. I'm a, okay. of, I'm a poet of dreams, but my mind, so it seems, is unrigid in structure and weak in the seams. I'm an author of prose, but my pen, as it goes, misuses its word forms and smears as it flows. I'm a singer of tales, but my voice, as it fails, stutters in rhythm and confuses its scales. I'm a man of high lesson, but my soul in each session of trying to express itself is lost in its expression. Thank you, God. I've never recited that. This is the only like. Wow, that's heavy. That is heavy. Wow, yeah, that's really. That is. That's heavy. Wow. I can decide if I should hit my beer or coffee at this point. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, that was very sobering. We're like, oh, maybe one than the other. You know. <laughs> you, you uh, yeah. Um, water, yeah. although the cup says um, probably wine, but yeah. <laughs> I, but, I, uh, I'm very classy too. I have root beer and, and my cup says I have the vocabulary of a well-educated sailor. So that's, that's one oh, of my nice. favorite. So. <laughs> that sounds to me like when like you are in sorry, I'm trying to Are you experiencing hardcore writer's block? Is it okay for me to say that bluntly? Um, oh. If we can, if we need to edit it out, but I feel like, like you're just in a, like a creative slump. Is that what that was describing? Well, I mean, I wrote that as a, was I in, I mean, I, I was probably 18 or 19 when I wrote that poem. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. that was a childhood poem. That's oh. a child. I just oh. repeated it because Jim was saying words sometimes fall short and don't. Yeah, can't. they never they never truly express where you're at. You can only kind of yeah. point the way a little bit. You know, it's like the, yeah. giving out muffled directions when you don't speak the language of of the local people. You know what I mean? Like you can't really you get people in the neighborhood. Kind of, it's about the best you can do. Yeah. So no, so I, so mm -hmm. one thing I'm really interested about is so you're a lifelong creator. So this is really interesting to see somebody, a lot of people I always uh, talk to or met that, that get into things. They generally, uh, there seems to be like a, like a, a, a sparking moment that takes off. So what is it, 
what do you think is, is different about, uh, about you that just it, um, I guess, well, how, how is your perspective different, uh, having been a creator over, over the span of your life versus, uh, one of those flash in the pan kind of things. Do you think that, um, is there a different, uh, cadence or subtlety to your work because of, of having been a lifelong creator? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, do you think you would have been different, uh, ha- had you gone to that, um, uh, you got into the National Honor Society or anything like that, and then later on discovered humor and, and writing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I have always had one foot in the creative pool, and then I also got finished my degrees and then went and got a master's degree, and so I have one foot in the professional field as well. So my parents wanted me to go to the Iowa Writers' Workshop because they thought I was a writer, yeah. And I just knew, I mean, I was banging out the song after song after song, but I knew that there wasn't going to be a profession in songwriting. And they, I, at Iowa, they were going to teach me how to write novels or something. And I wasn't a novel. I don't write novels. Not yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. That might be my next thing, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, but yeah. So I've had one foot in both worlds to answer your question. And Fortunately, I mean, I have the opposite of writer's block, which I hope isn't mental diarrhea. But I mean, I have <laughs> I have a lot like I feel like I wrote a large body of songs and those are that is my book of songs. Those are my songs, the songs of my life. I don't need to write anymore. I covered a lot of territory. I excavated tons of little crevices and side canyons. Yeah, it's almost like self-discovery uh, in, in progress almost. Yeah. You don't see that. That's really cool. Yeah. And so I love it. And then, you know, then I, 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 that dried up and that was depressing. And then I wrote poetry, which I find my poetry also to be sort of uplifting. And I, you know, and if we're going in that order, then I was going to maybe go to, I was going to maybe read a minute of love without madness. Yes. Uh, yeah. Go for it. Do it. But I'll just say Sorry. that. <laughs> then I'm writing these jokes, you know, chapter six, feeling insufficient just isn't good enough. Oh, chapter six was my favorite. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just need to express yeah. that. It just opened randomly to it. So, oh, did you really? But I mean, I, I only wrote this book. Only has twenty-two or twenty-three poems, but those are those are my poems. You know, those are all. I don't need to write more. I don't. I, I don't know if I will or not. Um, it'd be fun to write more children's material later. But, I will buy your children's material. Just saying. Oh, I want to turn the song "Sailor Song" into a children's book, and that's a song you both listen to. So. Yeah. Like, Yes. And I can actually, uh, if you're okay with it, I can, I probably have to get your permission, but I could uh, put that in the the episode at like starting now. uh, If you want, if you're okay with that. Sure. All right. So (laughs) I will totally. Thank you. Yeah. I would very much. Yeah. Let me know when that comes out because. um, I will let you know. So you know that would be lovely. yeah so i do have to ask like you're, you're kind of alluding there uh talking about what's next do you have are you just kind of like going with the flow kind of like going where the creativity takes you or is there a very pointed path you have uh because you've written two books you've written you know a, a lot of uh poetry a lot of aphorisms you've written songs mm-hmm. uh like are we talking about movies or <laughs> like where are we headed from here oh uh, well lately i've been writing essays personal essays to try yeah. to and the time that we live in, um, a, a variety of essays. And I, I think some of my best work is in front of me, actually. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't, 
um, I perform. I'm writing shows. So um, I believe that, uh, as you know, or as I think you know, I perform my poetry live with musicians. So Chantel, when you said this poem would make a great song, in a way, I've already done that. And I perform poetry with, or live spoken word, uh, with a jazz, either trio, quartet, or quintet. Yes. Not backing me up, but together we do it semi-improvised live performance of this material. It's really lovely. Yeah. It's, Thank you. I I've done this it. show about 10 times. I did it in, I've done it in, um, did it a couple times in Berkeley and in Oakland. And I've done it here in Boulder, Colorado, a number of times. And so the idea of having a group of musicians that are somewhat warmed up on a song, and there's a couple cues that we're working with, but then we're trying to make a presentation together that involves their voices and my voice. And I'm using words and they're using musical notes uh, or percussive notes. Right. And that, um, I call that um, cubist jazz. It's kind of like, cub I can't explain it, but there's a certain angular, there's a certain angularity going on with my poetry. And so this is something that if you wanted to also um, play live, you can also find that on YouTube. This, the poem yeah. about madness is is. I will. What's I'm sorry. One more time. What's the name of it? The the book it's, is called Love Without Madness, and the poem is called Love Without Madness. Okay. It's the, yeah, it's. I'll um, send you the link because I have it in my favorites. And okay, thank you. And really so lovely. there's a bunch of this stuff. I mean, I have hours of us performing different me and different musicians. I've done it with a lot of different musicians. Yeah. That in itself is an interesting process to maybe just like talk about at some point um warming musicians up and how to get people to produce the sound that you hear but you can't uh, or that you, how do you how to get them to fly like a flock of birds together in different directions and listen it's about listening all performance <laughs> is about listening as well so that's lovely. And so here, I'll read this poem because your favorite line, Chantal, is in this poem. And it goes like this. Why speak of love without madness? There's no such thing. It would be like speaking of oceans without salt or rain without sound. What is madness? but reverence for the fragile beauty of this world. And what is poetry but a window into the soul of madness? Follow the sound of trickling water. Close your eyes and follow the sound of trickling water down to the rice fields. I will meet you there before the sun pierces the seeded horizon before its yellow fingers part the skirt of darkness, before the day breaks into a million shards of light. What is madness but reverence for the fragile beauty of this world? Doesn't sound so bad. I wouldn't medicate that. Mm. And what is poetry but a window into the soul of madness? I find it satisfying. I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with my poetry writing. It really, it went to places that I'm, I'm pleased that it did. And I'd love to read more. I'd love to do a whole show on just this, these poems. Oh. Oh, man. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
You invade my blue country. That one ends with this, this stanza. You invade my blue country like a squadron of storm clouds turning over fields of clay like a mad plowman tilling the bottomless history of my people. Oh, wow. Fun, huh? Yeah, that's... And, and so is this... This is still the poetry you wrote when you were a teenager? No, no, this is all... So this is current. Um, this is brand like newer. This is in between songs and jokes. Ah, okay, okay. Where after I stopped writing, I wrote this collection. I, I went back to poetry. Ah, okay. Poems or so, and that's all I got. I can't sit down and write a good poem. I can't. It isn't a spigot. You just don't just go in there and turn it on. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you: Is this like a, a a situation where some people are very, uh, as as artists, are very into? Um, the muse and, and, and they can't do it until the moment strikes them. Is that sound like your kind of uh, yeah. thought process? Is that like, it just like you just go where it takes you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's not knowing where it's going is better. It's, it does seem very organic, very, very natural, very uh, um, raw. You know what I mean? Like very guttural almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to describe that process of just waiting for the words to assemble almost like letters flying in the air and you don't quite know how they're going to land. But, you know, I have a poem that says writing poetry is like picking beads from different boxes and putting them in order on a page without ever touching the wrong one, just waiting. And then you only know one thing at a time. And, you know, yeah, there's a certain, process with it but um again it's a lot of it is about listening and a lot of writing is also about being very empathetic to your uh listen to your reader or your listener it's about anticipating i write for other people so i am trying to anticipate how is this going to land for you chantelle how is this going to land for you jim how is it going to land for people who don't know me I'm trying to commu- I'm trying to bring you along. I'm trying to seduce you, basically. So, hands up, everybody. Leave a little room for the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, Breaking out I the ruler to... and yep, yep, back up, back up. <laughs> like this is a like a middle school it. dance or something here. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Right. Yep. I want to remember to say one thing. I'm going to write it down. Go ahead, Chantel. Yeah, I have to say, though, when you're saying that you're writing your crowd, um, you're pretty true to yourself when you're doing it. I mean, um, the the first impression, like, I'll, I'll be very honest. When I first started reading, I, I went, I gravitated towards your poetry first, not your book. Um, to be honest, I I think I'm losing somebody. Come in over. Anybody else here? Oh, no. Nelly, Greg, anybody? Oh, no, I'm all alone. I think this material is, it's conceptual in nature. It's, um, 
uplifting in nature. It's optimistic. Yeah. It's playful. And so it's, it, it, it's good material for, you know, thoughtful people who are maybe a little down in the dumps or, you know, want to laugh, but not in a cynical way. A lot of humor is disparaging. A lot of humor is cynical. This is not cynical humor, even though it's facing the human condition. It's talking about the human condition. I think it, it would be a good companion for people during the holidays who are uh, want to feel a little less alone and be part of this conversation about what is language and what is meaning that we're all actually part of one way or another and so yeah. um i think it's a great gift for smart teenagers and i have found that elders have also and i mean people in their 80s and 90s have enjoyed this material as well it's clean it is and it's not degrading except at times just to keep you guessing about where the <laughs> author is really coming from and maybe that's my specialty Right. <laughs> I love the idea of this would be a fantastic book to send to a relative who is in a long-term care home yeah. as a gift Absolutely. because they are going to be alone. Well, I don't know about the U.S., but in Canada, they will be alone. And so I think this would be a fabulous gift for yeah. especially uh, witty witty family members yeah, yeah. who are in long-term long -term care homes. I was doing a show. At, uh, I started performing at long-term care facilities or independent living centers for seniors last year. Uh, okay. I, I called the show, uh, I called the show, Letting Go is All We Have to Hold On To. It's, it's a perfect title for seniors, actually, and for people at that stage of their lives. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, and I would talk to them, and one of the one of the gentlemen that uh, in the audience had been a neuroscientist. That was his career. And other people were computer programmers. And I think that, the, that these are sort of lot, these, these statements play with logic and they're sort of little mind puzzles. So yeah, there's a lot of smart mm -hmm. people in those, in those crowds and they're in a philosophical point of their lives. And there was a woman in Georgia who found my book on Amazon and read from it every day, every week, a few jokes when she ministered to the people at, uh, at the um, independent living home where she served. Oh, wow. They loved it and she, they contacted me. I, I Zoomed with all of them one day and they, they loved meeting me. Oh. I realized I should be doing a show. And so when, you con when I contacted some of these places, they said, we always want comedians, but nobody does clean humor is your show. Clean, you know, like, <laughs> stuff that they're gonna yeah. listen to. And I think, oh, man, every one of them said yes to me. I, I really should be doing it. And then COVID started. Yeah. So I tried to convert my show to a COVID-friendly show, and I called it Zumbaya. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> I thought we could have a Zumbaya moment. Um, and I did it on Zoom a few times, and, and I, I, I do I agree with you, though. We need to be taking care of each other right now. This is going to be a difficult winter. This is going to yeah. be a strange yeah. couple of months. That is for sure. There's mm -hmm. a lot of good things coming though. 2021 is going to be a great year. It might not start until March. Right. <laughs> yeah. But when it starts, baby, we are on it. We are so on it. I am so excited to 
reopen all of these conversations about what language means and how can we embrace complexity better? How can we admit we don't really know and go at subject matters curious and ready to learn more? Like I say, like I quote um, in my introduction, um, I quote, um, it's, I quote Stephen Hawking who says, yeah. the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. Was that chapter 12? Uh, no, that's in the introduction. I quote. Oh, that was, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. To learn to question what we already think we know without throwing away scientific evidence or indulging in fantasy, I had to add that, is one of the challenges of our times. I'll just read that again. To learn to question what we already think we know without throwing away scientific evidence or indulging in fantasy is one of the challenges of our times. It is not unlike the philosophy of jazz expressed well by Miles Davis when he said, don't play what's there, play what's not there. So this, the, the jokes here are kind of like an invitation to loosen up the soil of our mind and like, let's get off all of this stuff that we're so